0: Welcome to the Jesus Collective Podcast. We're a network that exists to provide relationships and resources to amplify a Jesus-centered movement. And we seek to embody a more hopeful vision of following Jesus in our cultural moment. Join us as we learn from those who are looking to live out a greater Jesus-centricity in their areas of leadership and mission. If you're new to Jesus Collective, welcome! Welcome! Check us out on social media or at JesusCollective.com for ways you can connect to this growing movement. Okay. Let's get into today's podcast. Well, welcome to our listening audience. Hey, like. I'm so excited that you've pulled up a chair to this podcast table. And I just want to give you a warm welcome. Now, this is a part two episode about the relevancy of Jesus in our context. If you haven't listened to part one with Megan Larissa Good, I'd encourage you just hit pause on this, go back, listen to that episode and then come back with some fresh ears and fresh insights, ready to kind of hear from our panelists and our folks that are joining us for our discussion today. So with me, helping me, you know, kind of launch this podcast and this panel discussion today is the prestigious and lovely John Hand. John Hand, I see you. Do you see me?
1: (laughs) I see you existentially. I see you spiritually. And I don't see you physically, but I see you virtually. So, okay. is that that's three, It's three levels of seeing. I see you too. I,
0: I'll take that. I often find that you tell me you see me usually after, a, you know, I dump something on you and you're like, do you know what, mm-hmm. Paul? I see you. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that's some good coaching, some transformative coaching that you're doing there for sure. How's life these days, Sean?
1: Yeah, things are good. I am. Uh, it's good to be back on the podcast. It has yeah. been over a year since I've been in the co-host chair so to speak and it's great to be back really appreciate as i'm listening now from the from the the bleachers i really love paul what you and shauna are doing i love the way that you engage with our guests thank you for giving leadership to this podcast i am great uh really truly and i'm um yeah really excited about jesus collective these days and what we're pressing into the opportunities in front of us I wish I had time to tell stories, but I don't, but you can go backwards and we have a podcast that we recorded with our core leadership team a couple of weeks ago, and you can go find that on our podcast channel where we are just musing together and uh, encouraging each other about the vision of Jesus Collective. And we'd love to have you in on that conversation.
0: For sure. So, John, uh, speaking about updates, did you have any housekeeping things you wanted to just let us know? What's coming up that people who are curious about Jesus Collective uh, should know about?
1: Yeah. Let's fast forward to April of 2024. Uh, I know that feels like a long way away today in October, but we are having our in-person, our global in-person event called Unite. It's April 24 to 26. And this is really the chance for uh, a, a very kind of decentralized movement to come together. And we believe, and Jesus Collective believes, that there's a awakening to Jesus that's happening globally. It's happening within the church, where the church is waking up in fresh ways to Jesus, to the person, the living person of Christ at the center. And we even believe and see evidence of even like the secular world, waking up to the relevancy of Jesus, especially as the the, ten, the tenuous relationship uh, develops with the institutionalized church. We still see this sense of promise and hope and maybe even openness to the person of Jesus. So, we, we believe there's this awakening that's happening globally around the person of Jesus. And Unite is where we want to come together and see each other and link arms. We wanna kind of feed each other. We wanna stir up more Jesus-y goodness in each other and then send each other out back into the places we live, work and play to be Jesus the best that we can be. Um, and so, we're our theme this year is the prophetic church because we, we still believe in the church and we think that the church has a witness in this moment. Four Ways a Church Renewed by Jesus Can Surprise the World. And we're looking at four sub-themes that that we see as pain points in our cultural moment. Uh, So, a unified church displays a new possibility in a polarized world. It's a very hopeful uh, statement, a church renewed by Jesus. A church at peace offers healing in an anxious world. A spiritually thick Vibrant church brings hope to a cynical world, and a church centered on Jesus surrenders power in a world obsessed with control. So you can see these themes of like Good. polarization, anxiety, cynicism, and control. I wonder, John, who could that be relevant for? I wonder. I don't, I don't know. Right. I don't know. We tried to pick the most boring thing to talk about of course. when it of course. comes to Jesus. Yeah. And this is what we chose. So there we go.
0: So great. Uh, do you have any guests that you could let our viewers know about? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so this is still in the works in terms of uh, moving parts, but we do have Brian's on confirmed. He's going to be with us, which we're really excited about. And then somebody that may be newer to our audience is a person um, that we did a live podcast with in October of this year named Marlena Graves. Mm -hmm. And Marlena is a, uh, yeah, just a thoughtful Jesus-y professor and activist and theologian. And we are enjoying learning from her. And so she's gonna also be at UNITE. Among many others, we'll have workshops and have uh, plenaries, And so we'll spend two days together and hopefully, go back with a reignited refreshed spirit and passion uh, to do the jesus work we're called to
0: yeah that sounds so great um i can't wait for that down. that's what i just keep picturing like it's gonna be like a, a really cool down. you know ho hoedown that's, yeah that's it's like you, like you all dance and then you all feel different after i feel like there's a bit of that
1: that's a bit of that okay okay. So, okay
0: well just just for the
1: listening audience um we will not have fiddles. Uh we will not be wearing cowboy boots, uh just in case you were wondering.
0: Yeah, it is uh, in so Minneapolis, right?
1: The uh the use of hoedown by our friend Paul is a is a metaphorical hoedown.
0: So. It's a spiritual hoedown. I just like, want to clarify to, that. You have to you have to go past okay. the surface. I have to use a a theological reading of my word there, like the meaning beneath the meaning. Yeah. That's
1: good. Okay. So good.
0: Well, let's, let's, get put, let's put our guests out of out of their misery right? and move on. So, okay. speaking of our guests around our metaphorical podcast table, we have a panel here that are going to be engaging in discussion around Megan Larissa Good's talk that you would have previously listened to. So, I have around the table Christine Woods. Christine, say hi.
2: Hello.
0: Awesome. So I good. Feel to have like you. I feel like I want
2: to say, um, First-time caller, long-time listener. Um, <laughs> so good, because <laughs> Love it. this is the first podcast I've ever been on.
0: Whoa, this
1: this we so heard it here first. Wow, <laughs> I, this feels like holy ground, Paul.
2: Yeah,
1: I know we're we're reaching. You can say the you knew me. You knew reached.
2: me when. You That's knew me right. when.
1: Yeah.
0: Next around the table, we have Rachel. Rachel, introduce yourself. Welcome here.
2: Hi,
3: thank you. I'm so glad to be here. This is the second podcast I've been on because I had to make one for my environmental science class once. So there you go. There you go.
1: Nice. Well, you are a veteran then. It's great to have another another podcast veteran.
4: Wonderful. (laughs)
0: And then also around the table is Scott Lackey. Scott, say hi to the
4: people. Hey, thanks for having me. I traveled all the way to Canada just to be here with you guys today. So so, so good to be here. Wow.
0: Representing the American voice.
4: It's good. It's you know good. it. All the all the way from Buffalo to Canada. It was it was a long haul. So good. So good.
2: Well international.
4: Friends, yes, you know. We
0: it.
1: crossed an international border to be here today. So
0: good. Well, friends, I would love if we went around the table and we just kind of shared a bit more about who you are, your ministry context, kind of give our listening audience a context for the place that you're coming from as you speak in to Megan Larissa Goods Talk. So we'll send it over to Christine first.
2: Thank you. Um, Yep, I'm Christine Woods. I co-lead a church in Calgary um, called Westside Kings Church. It's on the southwest part of the city if you've been to Calgary, so we can see the mountains out of our parking lot. Um, one of the things that's interesting is that I have only been working in church for a year. I had 25 years in parachurch work before I came here. So I feel like I am I'm not just a first-time caller, I'm like first-time pastor and um, learning lots of things. But um, also feeling like I'm the kid who loves church her whole life so much so i'm really excited to be at the table to think about the ways that jesus is leading our church in north america and around the world so it's a little bit of who i am
0: so good thank you for sharing that and yes i am very jealous you can see the mountains because they are holy <laughs> to me i love the mountains and i know that's true for john as well right you love the mountains john
1: i love the mountains i'm curious uh christine uh, your church context. Are you in a small church, mid-size, larger church, you know, for your part of the world?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're in a larger to a mid to larger church here in our city. Um, I don't ever like to know how many people are in the building because um, I'm trying to measure other things as what's important. But I think in the church world, we are probably a on the larger end of okay. the spectrum, yeah.
1: that's helpful. It's, just, mm-hmm. it's helpful. Um, it's helpful to hear the the context that you're bringing into the context and complexity, whether that be large church, small church, new church, that you're bringing yep. into the conversation. Yeah,
2: um, we've been here for it was to celebrate thirty years uh, next fall, and um, we have a very diverse um, background in terms of people in our church so um we are part of the pentecostal association of canada but we are maybe the least pentecostal church in that assembly sorry assembly not association and um just lots of different convergences here
0: (laughs) what a cool context let's move on to uh rachel rachel what could you tell us about yourself in your ministry context
3: yeah, so I'm about four hours west of Christine and the beautiful Kootenays. So I'm looking at the other side of the mountains right now, and I live and work in a smaller church um, in the Kootenays. I serve as the director of children's ministries, and I've been doing that for just over a year and a half. But my background is in nursing. Um, I've been a nurse for almost twenty years. So,
1: cool. Yeah. That is so unique. And and just to clarify the Kootenays, that is a mountain range. Is that right?
3: No, it's like, it's in the mountains. You can okay. see the mountains everywhere.
1: Yes. And the Kootenays, is that a mountain range or what is the Kootenays? Is that a, is that a town? I've never heard this term.
3: It's a region of British Columbia. So Thank we're you. kind of the Southeast region.
0: Okay. That's helpful. There you go. Yes. Well, thanks for sharing about that. Scott Wacky. what can you tell us about yourself and your ministry context?
4: Yeah, I live in Buffalo, New York. And three years ago, we planted a church uh, in Buffalo, a little bit outside of the city limits called New Story Church. And we've been doing this for a few years now. We are a church of about 150 people or so. And most of the people in our church are young millennials or Gen Z, somewhere in that bracket. And uh, we we love what we get to do. It's it's an honor to be able to create a Jesus-centered space in our community. And uh I love being a church planter. Just talking to John about that earlier today. It's been a great experience for us. Quick
0: follow-up. So he said you planted three years ago. Well, if I do my quick uh, (laughs) mental math, I believe that. Takes us to a time of significant disruption that we called COVID. What was it like, just like really briefly, to plant a church in COVID?
4: That it was interesting to say the least. Basically, we were working at a church in 2018 when we felt God calling us to plant a church, and in early 2019, we went to the leadership of that church and said, "Hey, we feel God's calling us to start a church, and we'd like to do it in 2020." And not knowing that that's what was, the world was going to shut down in 2020. Perfect, perfect timing. Perfect timing. Unbelievable. Part of the strategy. It was, it was a big part of the tragedy. In March of 2020, we had our first interest party. There were like 70 people there. And then a week later, the entire world shut down. And I remember I just kept thinking, Oh, we'll be able to meet next month. Oh, next month, next month. And then finally in September, we were able to gather with some restrictions and our landlord was able to work with us and God brought it all together. But I don't know if it was a strategy or a tragedy. It was was one (laughs) of the two, but God's been working through that. And uh, it's been actually a really good experience to, to work through something like that. It's actually been nice for us because I never have to think, Oh, this is what my church was like before COVID. Mm-hmm. This is all we know, wow. and there's been a blessing in that. That's so you, cool. So
1: you you could say you've only grown since COVID. One hundred percent. Wow. Yeah. You know how many people that. can how many churches can actually say they've only grown since COVID?
4: The, hey, Beautiful. I'll take it.
0: Yeah. Those are the advantages of planning a church or COVID. Love it. <laughs> so let's get into our discussion on the kind of the teach, the content that Megan Larissa Good provided for us. And she kind of begins her talk talking about like the big one, you know, uh, that on the West coast of the United States, everyone's been talking about this earthquake, the shaking that's going to come. And she, you know, kind of demonstrates and connects that there's been a similar shaking in our kind of modern context, that we're seeing a rise in church conflict, that we're seeing a crisis of authority, that we're seeing so many changes in attendance patterns, how people are doing church, how they're thinking about faith. And I'm just curious, the question I would ask the the panel just to start us off is, what do you make of this? Like, have you seen the shaking that Megan describes? Um, And Is there anything else you would add to what you're noticing about our current context? So... Put up your hand, whoever wants to kind of respond to that question first. All right, Rachel, over to you.
3: Yeah, so I think one of the things I would add to that is perhaps it's just a stage of life or kind of my age, but it seems like my demographic, I'm going to say mid-30s to mid-40s, there are so many people deconstructing their faith. Mm -hmm. and and the shaking that that has produced in like just all areas of life you know like how how am I going to raise my kids what am I going to teach them Uh, that weighs heavy on me in my context but um, my background is that I watched my dad deconstruct his faith about 20 years ago before it was cool to deconstruct your faith Mm -hmm. and uh, and there was no one to catch him Mm -hmm. so at that time there weren't useful podcasts. We didn't have all the the helpful, I think, books and just conversations now and 20 years later. And so that's something that I see how how people are falling without really any good safety nets for them to fall into.
1: Yeah. 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 The only the only people talking about deconstruction, but not even using that terminology at that point would be the like brian mclaren and tony jones and the emerging church emergent movement uh they were trying to to talk about it but it it wasn't even in the terms that we're using today it was kind of rethinking uh which is not what we now would refer today as deconstructing so mm-hmm. it's really interesting
0: curious if any I'm of curious- our other uh, panelists like what would you add to to kind of what rachel is reflected on have you like do you have this sense that what megan is talking about is true of your context
4: adding to what rachel said i i agree that deconstruction is an element of what we're seeing right now it's it's a word that everyone's using and i almost feel as if deconstruction is the umbrella that all these things fall under like uh, or it's why they're happening. Maybe that's a better way of saying it, or deconstructing abuses in the church have led to people deconstructing, you know, authority issues have led to people deconstructing, changing technology. You know, we live in a time now where people talk about biblical illiteracy, where there could be some truth to that, but there's also some truth to the fact that more people know more about the Bible and know more about Christian history than ever before. And we have to wrestle with that, and we have to consider that, and we have to, what are we doing to communicate to the world around us that the faith that you've heard about or the Jesus that you've heard about is different than the one you've heard about or the one you've experienced? It's not necessarily who Jesus is. It's a caricature. And how do we then also ensure that when we are ministering to people who've maybe experienced some of these things that have led to deconstruction how do we ensure that we are doing it in such a way that it we're doing it with humility as well that we aren't just swinging to the other side and saying hey we're the new authority figures we're the new ones with the answers because we're gonna fall this is a pressure i felt at times where people oh i love your preaching or this or that or you made me think of this in a different way well i'm glad that's helpful but at the same time Please don't put me in the same place that where you came from, you place people, because I'm going to end up disappointing you in some way. And so I don't have all the answers. I don't want to put myself up as the expert either. So there's a bit of wrestling here as well, where yes, we're re-envisioning or we're deconstructing or we're thinking about things, but also ensuring that we're doing it with a humility so that we're not just creating the same structure, but with uh, different, different ideas yeah
1: i yeah. think I think that uh it, what I'm hearing is how do we deconstruct with humility uh-huh. but I, and and then and then reconstruct, but we're reconstructing in a new world like we're reconstructing in a world with new technology that's swept in new values that is sweeping out old values is sweeping out old perceptions is sweeping in ushering in new perceptions. Um and that's I think what's contributing to the polarization in how you and what gets reconstructed uh, as well in this conversation but i'm I'm really curious, Christine, what you're seeing. I know you know you have a young life background, so you've been around young adults who are you know kind of the stereotype, not saying mm-hmm. all young adults but are the stereotype of those who are deconstructing often. But what, what, what signs and signals of the shaking have you seen? And I'm going to add with you, like, where do you see this shaking on the spiritual, maybe emotional side? And where do you see it on the organizational side as well mm-hmm. in your context?
2: Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it like wrong to say I'm kind of happy to see some of this deconstructing, I think. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, that's it's not wrong at all. <laughs> it, depends on, it depends on who you're that's asking. That's all I'll say. No, I'll just leave it
2: there. No, no. Um, I, I mean, I think even as a, to be honest, as a woman growing up in the church, I'm quite happy that we are saying some of the things that have gone before us, we're going to look at them differently and some of the things haven't worked. Um, when I was... my younger i probably wouldn't have had a seat at this at a table like this as a, even as a woman so that piece i i'm kind of like yeah let's let's deconstruct some of these things i also think related to some of the things that i've seen working with young people is i will take someone trying to figure some things out and maybe asking the wrong questions or maybe going down the path a little bit the wrong way, as opposed to just not caring. So I actually kind of like the deconstruction in opposed to being like apathy. Mm -hmm. I I would way rather somebody be wrestling with faith and possibly making a few mistakes along the way, um, as opposed to just not even caring. Mm -hmm. So um, I kind of... I see there's a lot of opportunity and I actually think there's a lot of health in some of it. There's a lot of unhealthy things in deconstruct. There can be a lot of unhealthy things in deconstruction too, but um I feel like it's there's a lot of opportunity for the church right now in in those spaces. And um it gives me a lot of hope actually that people care about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, John, I'm s so, I am forgot the other part of your question to me, sorry.
1: Yeah, so you're talking about a uh, spiritual, emotional shaking, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm curious from uh, you guys being a mid to large sized church, what kind of organizational shaking are you experiencing?
2: Hmm. Um. There's, I think, there's a a hunger. This is, I think, that's the word that I am noticing right now: a hunger for more, for deeper um for real um and at all ages I'm noticing that of um some of it is COVID some of it is even before COVID of where have we come from is that still what we want um yeah so I, I'm ex- I'm like excited I feel like there's something um there's that's stirring. Like I think in the in that podcast, she really articulated it well that there is sometimes it's hard to articulate what it is, but there is something in the water right now that gives me a lot of hope. It makes me really excited. I'm always like, What is Jesus doing? Like, what's yeah. going to be the next? Awakening. What's tomorrow? Yeah, awakening. And um, I'm so excited to like watch it all unfold.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: I appreciate I Christine, that that you mentioned the opportunity that's uh, available to us, because I want to kind of speak to that and bring us into that kind of reflection on her liminal space moment. That yes, we are experiencing a shaking, but with eyes of faith, with this kind of sense of okay, what is the spirit up to? There's an opportunity, and so again, I, I throw this to the panel: What is the opportunity here? What should you know, a network like ours, Jesus Collective, be paying attention to in this liminal moment? Well, I
2: think we should be paying attention to Jesus. I mean, it sounds so simple.
1: (laughs) Drum roll, please, everybody. Drum roll, please.
2: (laughs) You know, I really was a Sunday school kid who loved to, like, win all the sword drills and all the memory verse questions.
5: Nice. Um,
2: But, I mean, it it sounds simple, but I also think in a lot of ways, maybe we haven't paid enough attention to Jesus. And uh, how, oh, sorry, how... um, how did Jesus, you know, how did he move in in similar spaces? How did he, you know, how did he give hope to people who didn't have hope? How did he help people think about things in new ways? Um, so I don't know. Maybe that's the Sunday school answer, but
1: I, I like it.
3: Sunday school answer.
1: Yeah, go ahead, Rachel. I w- I want to hear what your I want to hear your Sunday school answer. <laughs>
3: Sunday school answers are sometimes the best and most simple. Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs)
3: Yeah, I I use in our family services, I use a lot of simple language and uh, I think it's a great place to start. If you can explain it to a kid, you can explain it to the whole congregation. Yeah. (laughs) That was my only comment there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that comment because I do think the challenge of all good communication is Yes, simplicity, but when you go through something like complexity, perplexity, and harmony, like Jesus learning to take the powerfully learned concepts and communicate them to the like through the simplicity of like a subversive parable, like there's something that's that's engaging when we can stay it at both
4: ends of the process mm. what about what about you scott I, I would. I'm thinking about this. Such a good answer from Christine. I just don't know if I can top that right now, but uh, I guess it's not a competition. Uh, <laughs> if you can do better than Jesus, uh, go uh, for it, I guess. Man, <laughs> yeah. I don't know yeah. if I got something. We're there. waiting. Uh, I would say we need to pay attention. This doesn't sound cheesy. Pay attention to the tension. Pay attention to tension points in society, in the church, in culture as a whole. And in paying attention to those tension points, as we're walking through being Jesus centered, yes, we can move towards Jesus, but in those moments of tension, I think sometimes what we need to do a better job at is navigating. How do we find peace in the tension as opposed to how do we find certainty out of this tension? I think it'd be better for us in this shaking to just swim in the water a little bit, even if it's, hey, I feel like I've been in here a while, or I feel as if, you know, the wave that's coming right now, I may not have the abilities for this one. And that's where we can lean on one another and become better at listening to each other and seeing what others are doing to get through this this season or where they're at. Um, But in, in the tension learning, how do we have peace in this and listen and learn? We so quickly wanna run to certainty because then it's no longer uncomfortable, right? Everything's good. Well, you may not be uncomfortable anymore because maybe you found an answer that works for you in this time, but that may not be where everybody else is at and learning to feel and listen and love alongside of others in these tense moments and using that as a unifier, as opposed to just running to certainty, I would suggest would be a helpful, helpful little piece for us during this time. Yeah.
1: Can
2: I add a little, sorry, John.
4: Yeah, please.
2: I was just gonna say, I I like that, and I think w- even my Jesus answer, some of it is we've looked outside of the church for the answers, like we've lo- kind of looked for this magic pill, a program, a, a whatever. And I do think that um, it there this the magic pill or whatever the it is it's Jesus and listening and looking inside. It's not some. It's not another program. I don't think that's the next direction for the church of, oh, we're all gonna adopt this next great um program. I think it is about people and it's and it is about Jesus. That's why we're we're all here because we believe that and we think that. And um yeah.
1: So what what do you think uh, to our distinguished panelists is the, the what are the opportunities of the tension? So can you name, you know, Scott, you mentioned that, can you name a couple of the tensions? And, and then I'd be curious for others. What are the opportunities? There's something that happens in tension that can be birthed or brought forth that cannot happen without that tension. If we're in a moment where those are unavoidable, so then what are they and what are they going to grow or what could they grow?
4: Tensions. Coming to me? Tensions, tensions, Scott. Tensions? Well, I, I, we could easily just go down to, I think some of these tensions were clearly listed uh, from Megan Good, the tensions of pluralism and polarization, technology, individualism. And we could even add things in there, conversations surrounding sexuality, politics in the church, those types of things that are overlapping. I know it's a little bit different in the Canadian context than it is in the United States, but even in talking with John today, there's overlap there as well. And I, I know attention that I feel sometimes as a pastor is there's almost an expectation from people of all of these things are happening. We all see it's happening. We all know what's going on. Can you please tell us what to think about it? <laughs> as if I'm a pundit or if, and that's, that's traditionally the role we've placed a pastor or or a spiritual leader of. of, And for me, it's no, I I actually want to walk through this with you. I I want to, I want to equip you with the right questions and I want to equip myself to ask the right questions and not always be the people who jump in with, Oh, we have all the answers right now. There's a little bit of let's, let's, if we allow the tension to continue to to grow just a little bit, yes, it feels uncomfortable, but it is in it's in that that I think that we can really have some self discovery with all of these different types of 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 things that even that are causing the shaking that that Megan Good addressed. So I know that's not a direct answer to the question, but that's a little bit of how I'm looking at it right now. It's taking the pastoral role to living with the church and not just being somebody who's separate from the church. Hmm.
0: Well, yeah, that just requires way more work, Scott Lackey. I'm going to have to, I can't just download a sermon and just like, you know, plug and play something, right? Like I'm actually going to have to listen. I'm going to have to ask better questions. Wow, man. I got some work ahead of me, John. You, you got some work too? <laughs> there's,
1: there's a, of course we all, yes. Yes. I'm the chief of those with work ahead of them. And <laughs> uh, I think though the the there is that you can't you know, pastoral lesson from Scott, which is, I'm hearing you say, we don't get to navigate tensions without being with Mm. people in the tension. Like that there's not what, what needs to be born through the tension or the opportunity of the tension will only happen as the leaders are, are attending like a midwife to what's being born
0: through the tension. So good. Rachel, you had uh, you had a comment there. You had your hand up.
3: Yeah, I think that for us to actually get anywhere within the tension as a church, as a big C church, there has to be a lot of room left for the Spirit to speak.
1: Mm-hmm. And people
3: with some really good trained ears, you know, and whether they're receiving dreams or words or just have have their ear to the ground, so to speak. Um, that space needs to be held perhaps differently than some churches are maybe used to mm. um, because Jesus, the spirit is going to point us to Jesus. Right. And, yes. and we're not going to, we're not going to get it wrong in in a community setting that is discerning together. I think that's where the, the strength, I mean, I suppose we could get it wrong, but you know, the hope is that we would uh, listen listen well together. Mm. Rachel, could you give us an example
0: of a way, like, perhaps you've heard the Spirit speak to you in in a sense of a church setting? Perhaps, I don't know, a recent Jesus Collective event.
3: Oh, um, I get dreams. Dreams are my thing. God, uh, that's how he speaks to me. Uh, and actually, most often for, for me personally, it's corrective. God shows me where I'm I'm missing something or where I'm weak Uh, and then yeah that's and then sometimes you bring that to to your congregation to your well to your leaders anyway
0: so
2: good I think too we as leaders need to change the narrative about tension and that tension isn't always negative.
1: Preach, preach, preach. Like,
2: preach. um, yes. I think even if you look back at the church in Acts, um, you know, the stuff that they were dealing with, it's like we get that. It's like, oh, you two two people can be reading the same thing and have two completely different ideas of what that means it's like okay but what does that look like how do we make those healthy conversations like um the good stuff comes out of those spaces and so i think a let's let's be not always seeing tension is so negative i think there's a lot of positive things that happen in tension, especially when it's healthy and people are listening to the Spirit, are listening to one another. And, like, I love a good kind of wrestling of things. Like, uh, I think that's an engaging space for our faith, for our for our lives, for our churches. And so, I'm, I'm kind of like, yeah, let's not run away from the tension or try to hide it. Um, let's embrace it a little bit more. I feel like we need to use our words. Um, sometimes it's like we're toddlers. We just need to use our words better, but yeah, I think that will be really helpful for us is to stop being afraid of it.
1: Word words, create worlds. So when we give articulation to the, like, what is the goodness, what is the invitation mm-hmm. pregnant in the tension that creates for people, the possibility that's something that feels like they want to run from is actually something to lean into because there's a gift, especially pinging off of what you said about your community. If people are longing for more, if they're living in a thin, materialistic world that cannot infuse the hope that the human soul was made for, or the meaning that the human soul was made for, then that tension is now a place of depth and interiority versus something that we have to run from so i, I just
0: i love what you're saying john i appreciate that you just kind of tied that in to like what it means to be about the spiritual process it's something that often works with leaders uh that you know that often we hit a wall often we hit a point of tension we go to the wilderness we go to these liminal places and out of that we're brought into something new it does seem that like the last couple of years and, and currently we we're in this gray zone we're in this liminal space we are we're sensing profound shifts and we're looking to what's new and so what i'd love to kind of Uh, bring to our panelists is like, in light of this, how do we embody hope in these shakings? What does it mean for us to live in practices that will sustain us in the time in between, that will sustain us for these moments?
2: Well, I think, oh, sorry, no, Rachel, you go ahead, you go ahead. (laughs) I Um, I think real quick. Oh, sorry.
0: (laughs) Just go, Christine. Just go.
2: (laughs) I think it is, it does give us opportunity, the tension and the space we're in to find the common, like Jesus, again, coming back to my Sunday school answer, Jesus is a thing that's common, right? So I think the opportunity for things like communion coming to the communion table and some of those things are they've obviously always been so important but right now I think based on how polarized we can be how different people's experiences can be um, like those spaces where we can come together in unity focused outside of ourselves um, I think that they're exactly what we need we've always needed them but can, is it sacrilegious to say we need them more it's not, right now? You can I, edit that I, out if it's bad theology. <laughs> no, it's
0: not. I just want to say, like, I so appreciate that, like, you gave this example of the communion table. Because I think as Western rational people, we really thought the way to go ahead and practice ministry was all about, like, things in our head. Get people to believe as we believe. And I love that you pointed to a practice like David Fitch in his book on uh, practices about practicing the presence of community. I forget. I don't have to look that up, but he, he talks faithful about presence. like, yeah, faithful presence. That's the book. He talks about that practice is what the church needs in a postmodern age, that mm-hmm. we can have unity around the table. And if words, if knowledge pups up, you know, here, here's something that actually can draw us closer to Jesus. Okay. Rachel, you had your hand up there. Let's move over to you. Again the question is like what does it mean for the church to embody hope in the context of these shakings what practices need to be true of us as we hopeful t- or as we hope to embody a more hopeful vision of Christianity
3: Yeah so i think what i see a lot of out there is people hurting people are really coming out of covid especially there's a lot of shaking in the world at large not just the church you know that's right and how do we hold space for people with jesus um whether that looks like some inner healing ministries or um practices that enable people to come together with God, if it's communion, you know, um, getting people more plugged into ministries that are going to help them flourish in in their own hearts with God. Um, that's, the, that's the one thing that carried me through difficult times was I, I had questions about the Bible, I had questions about church, I had so many questions, and... The one thing I held on to was an experience of God with me.
1: Mm.
3: And so how do we how do we help people have those moments that they, they won't be able to deny? I might be able to let go of this, that, or the other thing, but I know that that my God and my Lord is with me and He's with us. Mm. And for me, practices that help uh, flush that out in people's lives are really important you know like listening prayer stuff stuff like that
0: so good john did you have uh, some comments there on what rachel just said
1: oh i just think i i agree rachel and it makes me think gen z and if we're talking hope yeah like it may what you're describing from what my experience as a father of gen z children uh or young adults and what I've read, what recently, you know, even Barna has done work on in Canada. There's a study uh, that World Vision did with Barna called the Open Generation. And there's a U.S. version of that. Like all of these studies and you look at the Asbury revivals, like what was that? Mm. It was exactly what Rachel's describing. Yes. Yeah. Longing, hunger, hope, hope. Uh, hopeful. So I, ah, I'm so hopeful, so hopeful.
2: And together, right? Like I think one of the things, maybe one of the lies of the the last generation has been that your faith is yours. Your relationship Mm. with Jesus is just about you. It's like, Mm. um, and we've put so much emphasis on that, that it's, and you, you can, t- you don't even have to tell anybody else about it. It's between you and Jesus kind of thing. And I think one of the things that we've missed in that is the community of Jesus followers, the community of the church, the hope that comes from that. I think all of those, the pluralism, the mental health challenges, like all of those are so like inward individualized and this idea of that even in the hard space of being in community of um, you know disagreeing and having different ideas and different whatever there's so much beauty in our faith and not being just about us and Jesus by ourselves in our room right that it mm-hmm. it really comes alive when we're together um it comes alive in the tension it comes alive in the hope of community like all those spaces i think i get really excited about people wanting to be in space together in so mm-hmm. many different ways i think that's some of the hope cuz i think the aloneness is literally killing us yes yeah, and literally. it's killing our f- it's killing our faith mm-hmm. as well yeah. it's not supposed to be just me and Jesus. And I love him I love to be with him but you know what I mean like it's so much more than just that I, I hope I'm articulating that
0: mm. you you're right on the money you're sounding like a Bonhoeffer in life together where he writes like <laughs> I know I know of all the comparisons but he does like write that like there's this sense of we need this new monasticism even, this new radical belonging Mm. to each other that we've lost Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. post-enlightenment. So, I think those are beautiful comments. Scott, I could see you thinking there, and I know um, that you have something to share on this. So, again, same question to you. What does it mean for the church to embody hope in the context of these shakings? What practices need to be true of the church today to help us tomorrow?
4: As I'm thinking about hope and embodying hope, uh, something that comes to mind for me, I'm not going to quote this verbatim. I'm going to be a little bit off here, so please forgive me. But in N.T. Wright's book, Surprised by Hope, he makes an observation that, and this was back in 2008, you're like, this is prophetic in some ways, that on one side, you have this view that the hope of the world is that this place is going to be destroyed one day and we're going to get to all float off to a good place called heaven. And then on the other side, you have this, oh, the hope is that we're just progressing and we're getting smarter as humans. And then we're going to eventually figure everything out. And he's like, you know, he basically says, that was not the hope of jesus or the hope of the early church the hope of jesus and the hope of the early church was not that everything was going to you know go go away and then we'd be burned up and then we'd go off to this good place called heaven it's not that we're getting smart the hope of the early church and the hope of jesus is the hope of resurrection and the hope mm-hmm. that he is making all things new and he will make all things new and his kingdom is at work on earth as it is in heaven. And as we begin to see that more clearly and live that out more, I can't help but think of the concept of living a cruciform life. And I think that that's so much more important too, than just even some of the, uh, past language of living the crucified life. Because when we say it that way, we almost start to just think of personal holiness and I'm good with God. And it's the cruciform life though is also more than just, oh, I'm just going to be a nice person because Jesus was nice. No, it's this process of of going through the crucifixion process with Christ and then being brought to life in him. And there's something about this process that I truly believe can bring hope to the world. And there's an optimism that comes with it. I love what John even said about Gen Z because that's something – I've been observing in our church. I'm a millennial and us millennials are talking sometimes with our gripes and our frustrations because we have a million of them. And Gen Z, it's like, (laughs) what are you talking about? We're just here because we want to learn. We want to serve. We're here to follow Jesus. And I know I'm just speaking from one general context, but that's my context. They're ready to go. They're ready to live in this hope of resurrection. They're ready to experience this and serve. And I'm just really excited for that generation. I'm excited for the millennials who are re-engaging. I'm excited for the boomers and Gen Xers who are excited for that generation and they want to work together, I see God doing a lot of amazing things in His church and bringing so much life right now. And there's a hope in this power of resurrection. And I know that that also sounds Sunday schooly, but there's something so true about that and this cruciform process that we've been called to. And I believe if we as the church can get that and live that, we're going to see something truly revolutionary.
1: Hmm. Amen.
4: Amen. All and right, the Americans the, the Americans say, the let's do later. this. Let's do this. I'm I'm hyped up, man. I'm hyped up. I'm part of the Bills Mafia. If you ever heard of that before, I I've, we break tables, we go crazy.
1: Yes. Okay. Um now that we've broken the tables, we're coming we're coming down to the final stretch here. I would love to get a bit of a lightning round. Okay on this last question, which is, we've been talking about the this, the name of this podcast is The Relevancy of Jesus, and we can fill in the blank, Relevancy of Jesus in a post-Christian age, the relevancy of Jesus in a post-COVID world, whatever. It's the relevancy of Jesus, so where do you, where do you see the intersection of the relevancy of Jesus with the pain points in the world, in your world? And, and I would love to push us to think outside of the church. So outside of the Christian community, as you are living in the world, where do you see the relevancy of Jesus intersect the most in your world with the pain points uh, outside the church?
4: One of one of Good the things question. that's most compelling about uh, Jesus to me, for the world, is these pain points. Yes, we've seen abuses, and yes, we've seen abuse of authority in the church, but we also see it out of the church all the time. I mean, it's it's everywhere, and you know, specifically in the states, it's all about climbing up the ladder, getting the power so you can tell people what to do. <laughs> and once you can tell people what to do, that it's all, it's all about that. And so many people have been burned by that structure or hurt or abused by that structure. Yet Jesus comes along, who is the creator of all things, the image of the invisible God, the, the exact representation of the nature of God. Jesus, the one who resurrected Jesus, could have said, I'm the creator of all things, obey and listen to me. I'm the top of the ladder. But instead of appealing to that type of worldly authority, he appealed to love. Hmm. And he said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And then in that, not only has he given his life, but he has rescued us to give us an opportunity of new life and an opportunity to be a part of his rescue mission of creation. so not only does he give us life, but he empowers us. And there's so many beautiful things about Jesus and in being King Jesus people, he just continues to give and give and give where in other structures of the world, if you climb that ladder, it's about how much more can you take, take, take. Mm-hmm. And there's an alternative to the way of Jesus that I, speak, that I think can speak to a burned out and tired and exhausted and confused people who are saying, I don't know where else to go.
0: Mm-hmm. Come on.
4: Beautif- beautifully said.
0: Beautifully said. Yeah. Uh Christine or Rachel, what would you say to John's question?
2: Well, I think even related to what you just said, Scott, I think even taking it a little bit further, it's the upside down nature mm-hmm. of the kingdom, I think is what is so beautiful. I think the idea that power, the idea of like power and how it hasn't worked for people, I think like... Where does Jesus meet people right now? the marginalized, right? Like are we have so much more understanding, maybe right now of the marginalized and of the injustices of things mm-hmm. in the world. And like I think when people start to look at Jesus in young life, they always say, if you could just see Jesus for who He is, you can't help but fall in love with him. <laughs> and I think that that even that's so true of people understanding actually who Jesus is, what it actually means to love, what it means to love your neighbor, who's your neighbor. I think like that those pieces of, um, you know, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope, that's not the message of the world. And I think there's so much beauty in in that upside downness kingdom that people are looking for. Um, and I think it does give us a lot of hope. hmm
3: Thank you
0: so much for sharing that, Christine. Rachel, did you have any thoughts you, you wanted to uh, contribute to that question?
3: Yeah, in terms of pain points, I see I see people grasping. They're just grasping for anything, whether it's a, a sliver of identity or belonging or um, hope. And I think Jesus and the Trinity can speak to every pain point there is. And so are we is the Jesus that is being offered through our own lives, through our churches, through our ministries? Is it Christ himself? Because Christ himself is compelling. Um, I think uh, how how am I offering? Jesus to the world and into these areas of pain. I mean, I work in healthcare. I see a lot of pain. Uh, I particularly work in mental health. So that how how am I being the presence? How am I bringing the presence of God with me? Because that in itself is a balm in a hurting world. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's like we we walk. What's the quote? And I forget who said it. We walk the world as the pardon of God. Like we're, we're where we go, we emanate this radical grace mediated. Like what? What was God thinking? I'm going to mediate my grace in part through these people. <laughs> it's so great. It's it's uh, only God would think of that. So it's beautiful. Thank you for sharing these helpful and inspirational thoughts and for participating in this, this conversation. There's sounds like there's so much more we could say. And there's more to be said. That's why shameless plug, everybody ready? Come to unite in April, 2024, Minneapolis, St. Paul Woodland Hills church. Uh, we would love to have you because we will, this will be the, a major theme of that conversation. So Shameless plug over.
0: Shameless <laughs> plug over. Thank you for that, John, and thank you again to our panelists for taking out time for reflecting on some of the deep longings, some of the deep stirrings uh, that we find ourselves in. And I think it's just so great that we get to have a conversation about this together. That we're not we're not isolated. We're not in a sense where we feel like we're. We're lost a bit, but we can find each other. And that's what I really appreciate about Jesus Collective is people are finding each other as a way of like almost the Spirit's work of encouraging and discerning and understanding what's going around in the world around us. So to our listening audience, thanks for pulling up a chair at the metaphorical podcast table. It's been so great. We hope uh, that you have a great week or whatever else you're doing uh, in your life, and here's to keeping Jesus at the center.
5: God is at work raising up a movement of churches, ministries, and disciples all around the world that are passionate about advancing a more united and hopeful, Jesus-centered, Jesus-looking kingdom. If you're a listener today, I'm sure you can see and feel that. So, Can I ask you today if you'd help us amplify this Jesus-centered movement? Can you share the podcast, blog, and social media channels? We are on a mission to equip a centered-set vision of a church renewed by Jesus by investing in the renewal of its leaders. Would you consider making a financial investment in Jesus Collective today? Is anything stopping you? If not, go to JesusCollective.com. Your investment means we can advance and amplify this Jesus-centered movement, investing in pastors and Christian leaders globally. Hey, and don't forget to make sure to check out our website for upcoming events. We've got a ton of great things happening.